Hi everyone, welcome to 21st Century Saints, our podcast and live stream series for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, those affiliated with them, those who are feeling a little bit poorly, those who are running late, those who are on their holiday and those who have just finished work. I think that pretty much covers the whole gang here, right? Um, so <laughs> it's great to have you with us again tonight. Um, we are going to be talking about... Um, Sunday night's women's conference. We've got some things we would like to say about that, which happened online for women and those age, is it eight and up or 12 and up? I can't remember now, but I think, I want to say 12 and up. Um, it happened 12 and up, yeah. Yeah, mm. on, on Sunday night. Um, I am your host, Jane Christie. We also have with us our co-host, Ruth Heath. Do you want to say hey? Hello. Ruth has just finished work. We also have Sarah, who is on holiday and is drifting in and out because her mobile is doing her doing its absolute best to, to, to bring her to us. Um, Sarah, if you can hear us, do you want to say hey? That's okay because she will Hi, be with us just Sorry. there. She is there. She is. Um, it, we will we will figure out the technology as we as we go. We also have our guest here tonight. Now I am really. We've had a lot of discussions about this in the background when we're talking about women's conferences and sacred women's spaces. It's traditional in Mormonism to have a man preside. A priesthood holder has to provide. So we, we can get a little bit defensive about that uh, because we, we don't obviously have to have a man preside and it may come across like that. But we see huge value in a man sharing his thoughts instead of to preside or tell us what we should think as women about what we've just heard or to sort of give the closing words. Um we want to know how, what would happen if you showed up to listen and be taught what things are you going to learn. So we wanted to bring that perspective in too. So thank you so much to our guest, Peter Bleakley, who's with us to do just that. Do you want to say hey? Hi. Um, I thought I was presiding. Anyway, <laughs> I'll try and shift gear. Unlucky. <laughs> Apologies Unlucky. to my late arrival. I've <laughs> I've been taking rebellion to the streets of London today. I've been out marching with, with the teacher strike with 40,000 people up to Trafalgar Square. So I've been. Now this is, these are the things I but want I'm to here talk now. about. First. I'm in the zone. <laughs> tell, tell the world why are you striking? So the National Education Union, which is the biggest teacher union, is striking for better pay and for the government to fund pay rises because they've given us small pay rises that below inflation but they've taken them out of the local school budget rather than giving more central funding for it um, and the profession's in big trouble uh, within the first four or five years of teaching a quarter of all teachers leave the profession which is a disaster and I've got a lot of um, LDS friends actually amazing young mothers young women who trained as primary teachers and they would be like actual Mary Poppins, you know, they're the, the people you'd love to have teach your children. And it just wasn't feasible Too too much stress, too much work and not being paid enough to make it worthwhile. And they've dropped out. Um, it's just awful. It's carnage out there. So a lot of 
children have real instability now with teachers leaving during the year and dropping out and, and having cover teachers coming for short periods. And it's not good for the children, particularly in primary sector. So that's what we're all campaigning about. We're being totally ignored by the government so far, but um, we're determined. <laughs> we'll see how it um, goes. And we had junior yeah. doctors out today as well. Lots of other people. It's been because uh, it's budget day here in Britain. Um, so it's a lot of unions were on strike today at once. And we all converged on Trafalgar Square. It was very dramatic. I, I bet the atmosphere was fantastic, though. It was cool. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, we, we're with you. Um, I think in Scotland, which is seeing similar strikes um, and it, it was reached. Yeah. So, yeah, we're we're with you guys. We wish you every success and we, we support Thank what you. you're trying to do. Um, Ruth, how are things going with you? Oh, good. Budget day. It, it, you know, talk of the town in our office anyway, because of, of what I do for a job. But um, I'm also married to a teacher. So the... Uh, the current situation for teachers and and I think it's a double whammy I, you know I'm sure Peter feels this as well that that they took it on the chin for years and years and years as far as a real rate you know, mm. you know real actual pay cut um because they mm. you know everyone was struggling as a country we were struggling so okay they'll take it they'll take it they'll take it so in, in real terms their pay has gone down year on year on year on year for many years now um but then through covid the the amount of extra that they did so richard works in special needs mm. they stayed open not just for term time they stayed open all the way through the half terms the easter holidays into the summer holidays to to provide that structure for the the children that they were helping oh i've got an echo um and sorry no that was me so I'm, I'm trying to share the show on my facebook oh, carry on um, <laughs> and and they went above and beyond, as as most people in schools always do. They went above and beyond and above and beyond. And now to be cast by the the um, the government and the government friendly press as they're somehow being, um, you know, coming to the to the table asking for something when when you know they've got it good, is just really rubbish. Now, fortunately, I think there are enough sensible people in the country who say no I know a teacher I know people who work in schools I know that's not the situation and, and as Peter said all they're doing is taking it from one pot of money and saying well you've got to pay it to the teachers well that takes money out of school budget which pays for all of the resources which is already underfunded you know the repairs that need to be done all of those things suddenly they've got to find it in another way and make the teachers the bad guys if yeah. You know, the, the, the leaky ceiling doesn't get fixed. It, it's just absolute rubbish. The amount of teachers and support staff that buy their own supplies for the classroom. Yes. You know, and that's gone on for years. So there we go. I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> yeah, we're with you. We're with you, teachers, doctors. Um, yeah, uh, all of these these services that, that we really depend on um, that are not not being valued in the way that they should. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, good luck. Good luck, all of you. Um, Queen Sarah, how are you getting on this week? What are you up to? I'm on holiday this week, folks. In meant to be sunny Cornwall, but it's been looking a bit rain all day today. So I'm sitting here in Cornwall with a very dodgy Wi-Fi, well, no Wi-Fi signal, and only a mobile phone for cellular data. So if we struggle tonight, 
I'm sorry in advance. But it's good to be here. Yeah, well aware of the crisis that's facing so many public sector workers in this country. And for those of us that have worked in the public sector, we've been funding the public sector out of our own pocket for years and years and years. And it is time we got serious about caring for people in this community. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so thank you for sacrificing your holiday time to be with us. Um, Sarah has been working still so hard despite being on holiday um, on all of the safeguarding issues in the background. So we're, we're really excited to hopefully bring you guys um, a broadcast on Sunday because uh, we've got some more safeguarding news. But let's, um, oh yeah, and also I am in bed because I'm a little bit poorly. I had considered sitting this one out, but you know what? We'll just, we'll see where the conversation goes. I'm, I'm nice and chilled and cosy. I'm wearing my jammies. So yeah, let's just, let's just see how tonight goes. We should have some fun with it, I hope. Um, okay, Sunday night's broadcast. Let's begin with, uh, so so who was all, who was all there? Who Who was attending? Um, uh, who, who was speaking? I mean, <laughs> we had Hans. Mm -hmm. No, I've always said Hans Boom, but it's Hans Baum. Yeah. Is that correct? Am I pronouncing his name? I believe it's Hans, Hans Baum. We're, we're pronouncing his name as. So I'm really yeah. glad that I know now how to say that properly. We also um, we had Tracy DeMarco, and this is the first yeah. time I've seen Tracy DeMarco speaking. So. My understanding is that Tracy DeMarco is one of the newly called um, Women's Council over Europe, which is a kind of new calling. Um, I believe it's Tracy DeMarco, uh, a sister Griffiths, and I can't remember who the other one is. And I've been really excited to see what happens with this calling, what's what's going to be done. And it's obviously... I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what goes on, but uh, this was the first time we got to see her. Mm. She seemed brilliant. Um, we also, the the materials had really promoted that the women who were going to be speaking were uh, Tracy Y. Browning and Sister Rebecca Craven. So, uh, yeah, what did we expect going in? What were, the, what were our hopes? What were we looking, what did we expect them to speak about? It would have been really nice if we'd heard some relevant talks to the UK. So it'd been nice for them to talk about um, the falling membership and what, as women, we can do to to maybe work in, in wards and, and branches where you are really strapped for people to call into callings and how to make that work and how to keep things relevant for youth. I'd like to hear something about mental health because I know there's tons of youth struggling with mental health um, and there was nothing that touched on that. It's just very ephemeral burdens, you know, just 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 all the, the sort of buzzwords, but nothing that really dug into the gritty stuff. And it'd been good to talk about cost of living crisis and COVID and the realities of the of the stuff that, that people have, have actually lived through. Um, but yeah, so it'd been nice mm -hmm. to have something along those lines. Yeah, I, I had similar hopes that they would... Sorry, Sally, please go. What were you thinking they might be speaking about? What were you hoping for? It would be really wonderful one of these days to have these leaders come, not to talk to us, but to listen. Mm. To come, come and talk. Come 
all, don't come to tell us things that we've heard 500 million times before. Come and listen to what the concerns of the women in this country are, because they are not the same concerns as women in Provo and Utah and other places may have. One of the specific concerns, as we've mentioned, that's happening in the UK at the moment, concerns around our children aren't safe at church, our LGBT communities aren't safe at church. We've got a cost of living crisis and the church still wants tithing. We're struggling with basics in this society at the moment and still women are giving more and more and more to the church in time, energy and financially. And I would really like somebody from the senior leadership of this church to come to listen, not to talk to us, just for once, just once, come and say, I'm here, tell me what's going on in your lives in the UK, mm. women. I think you hit the nail on the head there, yeah. Um, Peter, expectations? Um, well, usually low <laughs> for any kind of visitation from the States. Um, in reality, I thought the first couple of speakers rocked it, were were really amazing. And then it just went downhill to absolute dreck by the end, um, which kind of depends on the speaker, of course. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting. Um, sorry, what was the, the not Sister Craven, the other Tracy? So Tracy, Tracy. DeMarco, was she the Scottish lady? Yes. What the was she? Yes. yes. Scottish. Amazing. She was fantastic. Um, and who is the second one? Sorry, I'm so sorry. I've come a bit on the hoof. Um, um, yeah, Sister Browning. Browning, that's it, yeah. So she actually, sort of in response to what Sarah, Sarah said, she said, I've been talking to you, I have been listening to you, and your country's a mess. <laughs> like, she just sort of made a brief statement along the lines of, you know, I know it's all terrible right now in this country. It's just dreadful. Um but then she didn't say anything specifically relevant at all to what dreadful things are apparently going on in Britain. She just told us about so a lovely holiday said, in Mexico, and, and, didn't she? Yeah. <laughs> and she and and buying a nice picture and a cute face promoting story with a coincidence being a miracle, which is something we're often talking about, is all they've usually got to offer as the miracles these days it's the little coincidences isn't that lovely god intervening but again those are generic ideas it's not specific to our country mm. and in the you know we've sort of yeah. labeled this the the british rescue continues like when quentin cook in the adult session of their their visitation a year ago um kept going on and on about history um and boasting about his kimball ancestors and he kept saying, I'm going to come to the future. I'm going to talk about your country and its needs. And then he just ran out of time and sat down. <laughs> he never got there. <laughs> so again, we keep over and over again. I, so I totally agree with you. I mean, the main disappointment is they never actually address, address the real issues going on. They just chuck out vague, touchy-feely, feel-good stuff, which we can get already. We've already heard it in general conference. You know, why do we need to gather for more of that? What? what you bring mm. into our place and our people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and save the airfare. You could just save the airfare in the States, couldn't they? If, if, if it's, mm. it's generic, it, it, yeah. Yeah, actually, I mean, because that's exactly what, what I'm feeling. If you're doing a, a cut and paste talk that you travel, you take with you in your travels, I, I mean, it's 
nice and all that but you know yeah there's no point in traveling you, you could just deliver that send it to me in an email it would be yes. faster and yeah um it's be an email <laughs> i would like i would like to start if it's okay with a little bit of um context and with um sister no yeah sister demarco um sister demarco's talk so i'm not used to hearing a Scottish accent um and uh, it, it you know it's and she seemed smart and assertive and wise and she does know the context and so I'm quite I was quite excited to hear what she was going to say I was also very aware of who was on the stand and who wasn't on the stand so over to the over to the the over to one side we had um the the presiding authorities we had uh no i i i keep wanting to call him chris but it's mark stewart we, we had elder mark stewart there and he seemed to be really listening you, you know what I said at the start about people who show up to preside and they're there, you know, you, you can see that they are, they are processing it in a slightly different way to most of the, the audience. Um, the audience is generally, I think, are going because the their expectation and hope is that they're going to be filled, that you're going to tell me why am I here why why are we doing this um you're going to give me something that is going to strengthen me and feed me um not just something that I could open chicken soup for the soul or read off an inspirational quote website you're looking to be given something that is actually going to strengthen you and you know, very often you see men presiding who are don't just don't appear to be engaging with it in that way. Now, I might be totally wrong, and I I know I'm I'm reading expression rather than um, action. I really loved that Chris Stewart, uh, sorry, that Mark Stewart was sitting and fully engaged and smiling and supportive and. Uh, can we have more of that please but maybe could you send me part of the audience and could you watch and take notes and and ask questions I, that's the kind of thing I would like to see um and it's relevant because something happens later on um that I want to bring up so sister sister uh, DeMarco gives a talk and she I feel like it's going to sound very generic when, when I'm sort of relaying some of the things, but she talks about women feeling overwhelmed, um, overburdened, um, all of the demands that are placed on us. Um, she, you know, she she's saying, I know the saviour thinks you're great. She talks about women's witnesses. What I appreciated is that often we hear those things being being said, but it just feels like words. I appreciated the intent behind it because she's clearly seeing women who are having a lot of demands placed on them. Now, I would suggest that some of those demands are placed on you by the church. 
you know, I got the sense that she's talking about sort of the world's demands, a, a woman's role, um, and women having lots of uh, conflicting messages. But some of those demands are because you're asking women to carry the church in a lot of ways. Um, her point really, I think, was seeking uh, comfort or peace in the saviour. Um, and I found, it, I found it to be quite empowering and quite, it, it was nice. It was a nice talk. Any thoughts? Yeah, I think she talked about women being undervalued. And as you just said, you've mm. absolutely hit on it, which is this is applicable for how the church makes women feel. I think she did probably mean it from the world's perspective, but maybe she yeah. was also being a little bit realistic and saying this is from the church. So undervalued, unloved, worried about the trials of others, overworked, fearful, and concerned about do we make a difference? And when you think about that in the context of women's in at church, they are the genuine concerns and fears. And so many of those things could be addressed very, very simply. There is There is a very quick and easy way of remedying so many of that and it's a it's about addressing the patriarchal system that the church operates in now you would say that's the building blocks of the church and maybe they'll never want to do away with that but it you know I, i'll be the the cassandra and call it for as it is it, it, it that is how you will keep women in the church value them actually consider how to you know make use of them their strengths really play into their strengths because they do make they can make a difference if you'll allow them to listen mm. to their concerns they're right they're on the money they know the stuff um and when they worried about the trials of others they're the canary in the coal mine they will tell you what is going on at grassroots level listen to them or don't at your peril men of the church yeah. not not you, Peter, men of the church, you know, that that's the reality of it. So when she's saying these are all the things and maybe she is referring to the world, I, I think if only the church would recognise that they are in a perfect place to make such a difference to so many women at church's um, experience of being active, faithful Latter-day Saints. Yeah. Sarah, what, what were you thinking about, uh, about Sister DeMarco's thoughts? I think, yes, she addressed very, very well a lot of the feelings that women have and a lot of feelings that women are struggling with. And as Ruth said, a lot of those come from some of the expectations that we are supposed to live up to at church and the frustrations and the difficulties and the challenges that brings. But I also think we need to remember that not all women are feeling like that. Some women are feeling that and are struggling, but not all women feel that. Some women are actually feeling that they're kind of doing okay. And actually they're feeling that they've got their boundaries and assertiveness in place and they're able to kind of get on and be useful and make a difference and are not necessarily always feeling overwhelmed and burdened. Mm -hmm. I do think it was really important. We've heard it 500 times before, but it's so important to hear over and over again that the role of the Saviour is to love people. When she pointed out that he said to Peter three times, if you love me, feed my sheep. And I think yes. that's the most important thing that came out of her talk. If you love Christ, if you really want to be a Christian and you really want to be doing things, the ministry, the work of Christ, then love people. And after that, kind of summed up everything that you needed to give the message to us. We know you're overburdened. We know you're exhausted. We know this is difficult. 
loving one another is what's needed because that will get you through those really really difficult times yeah and and i would have loved to have heard that that being expanded on because i feel like um you know, I, because I love that's what that's what you're hearing. Because often, what I, I, I and I, I did have these these, these sort of feelings that, um, okay, if you're feeling overwhelmed, overburdened, um, one of the answers is remember Jesus said, "Go feed sheep." Um, I don't want to feed sheep. Oh, can can I can I be fed, please? Can I can I have a rest? Can I just go lie down over here and take a nap? Um, but yes, and and that's why I think expand on it some more. Give us some nuts and bolts. How how what does that look like? If I'm feeling overwhelmed, I would love to hear you. You mentioned the word boundaries. Could you talk about boundaries? How can women set boundaries in church and say that this is too much? Um, because we don't see it modelled. Um, and I think another. Yeah, do you know what I'm. I'm I'm going to actually, I'm going to come to you, Peter, because I have a thought I'm going to sit on for a moment. What okay. What were you thinking? Um, I thought she was stunning. As you said, she, she sounded like she knew her brief. She understood she was professional. She was articulate. She is the kind of woman we meet all the time in, in normal life, you know, in, in our places of work, in roles of responsibility. And you very rarely hear from higher up any kind of echelon in the church um, where they're meant to keep pretending their whole world is family and wifehood mostly. And and they're not really meant to say anything meaty or doctrinal because that's the men's job. So she was clearly one of the amazing, remarkable women in the church who, who don't play those games. And you, you've got men like that as well. And you just sort of lament because you... If you always think, oh, if she was in Young Women's General Presidency or Release Society Presidency, it'd be amazing. But by the time people get there, they get so intimidated, they get so institutionalized that and scared, um, you they kind of lose whatever independent thought or energy they used to have. It seems the higher they go up the hierarchy, or they would not be trusted because you're not meant to be thinking for yourself in this whole system. So she just shows the potential this church has to empower women, to give them leadership roles, which they do get, even though, though they're limited compared to men, through the church program, as it were. And the benefits we all get if we serve missions or give talks regularly or teach lessons, you know, that, that educates you. It gives you skills. It makes you a better communicator. And she actually, you know, absolutely embodied all that. And if this system works, that'd be great. You know, the reason they've created this role, and I think they're piloting it in Europe, is this idea of having men counselling with women in leadership decision-making. And their role is meant to be, to kind of be like the Relief Society parallel to the um, area presidency and to bring that women's voice into Europe area level stuff because there hasn't been a female role doing that before. So if she's the kind of calibre of person they're bringing in, fantastic. Um, but will they listen? Will they actually be given the opportunity? Well, we all know from our experiences locally, of course, they won't. But it's good to hear someone trying, at least, I guess. Yeah. Could, could you pause a second, um, Peter? Sarah, you yeah. sound like you are Sarah. completely... Yeah. You have a thought you want to share? Mm. 
Oh, she's frozen. Okay, that sometimes it takes a little second for Sarah's sound to catch up. So although the stream may be frozen, um, Sarah, we can, if you want to try again, uh, did you have something that you wanted to share? Right, so we're going to wait and to see if, if Sarah can rejoin us. Um, shall I just, shall I, can I just respond to something Sarah just, said earlier? So, would you please, yeah. yes. So, yeah, I just thought I loved what she said about how actually... It, it's not all women are stressed out and strung out yes. um, and absolutely agree in the church that a lot of the, of course they are, especially if you're, you've got children you're dealing with and too many callings when they should leave you alone, when you've got young children and not giving you more leadership things to do. It's a lot of women who have really broke them. Um, so absolutely. And, and when I, since I've got excommunicated, I'm not in the meetings anymore. I'm not obliged to do home teaching. I don't have to do all the busy work. And you can step back a bit you realize what a total waste of time most of that is the meetings go on and on talking about doing things but never actually doing them because it's fantasy a the things we're talking about doing won't work anyway and they didn't work the last 10 times so why are you going back to that again and also you don't have the manpower anymore <laughs> the people are leaving there's no one got time to do this i remember at welling ward council everyone there men and women would kind of drag themselves there from a long day of work and it was exhausting and we had they you know the missionaries were a machine there we every week we had new mem new converts who because of the mission system we'd never met and we the main we spent half our meetings just trying to remember what people's names were and write them down never mind actually minister to them we had no relationship with them because the mission system was baptizing them after they'd only come to church once. Um, and so it was just exhausting. And to get away from that and step back, you realize how futile and um, exhausting it all was. Mm -hmm. But also how it's futile because if you don't address the real issues causing your members to leave, all these, you know, when I first moved to my new wards, it was thriving. We had. Um, a, a large number of amazing YSAs who the whole ward had invested their lifetimes raising through primary and youth. And we had an amazing retired missionary couple, got them on missions, encouraged lots of them to have temple marriages afterwards. There's about two of them left now. Nearly all of them have gone and the divorce rate among the active members is higher than the ones who left. Okay. It's been carnage, all wiped out. And you just think, that's a, that's a lifetime of work by all these people, hundreds of man hours every month invested in these young people. But because of the things they won't talk about, because of the things they won't address, the sexism, the homophobia, the lying about history that we get, can, you know, tutted out if we try and bring up on a Sunday so we can start actually fixing the reason all your children left the church. Um, Instead, it's always these distractions. It's all, oh, life is terrible, but just pray and you'll feel better and think yeah. about Jesus. But we need yes. to actually deal with the issues. And that's, that's we've already said, yeah. when we get people come from Utah world um, and talk the usual bland nonsense and think it's going to be any different or useful to us, it just isn't. You're completely ignoring all the elephants in our room. Yeah, and, and then there might be super lovely people, but... But it would be, it's just, it's going to always just fall very flat with an audience that's mm. desperate to be nourished and, and yeah. finding just empty calories in, in what they're saying because they've heard it all before. They are experienced, mm. seasoned 
Mormons sat in that room or listening mm. with bated yeah. breath, waiting yeah. for something that's going to feed them and, and waiting to hear yeah. some, some solutions or some strategies so, yeah. to try and tackle the real the real issues. And they're not they're not there, unfortunately. But yeah, I thought, so I thought Tracy Mark, was amazing that she brought empathy, but she didn't bring solutions. Yeah. And is, one thing I did notice, yeah. and I'm, I'm a big one on um, people's choice of language. She spoke in eyes. I think this, I think that. And it's powerful when people do that because it just brings a lot of integrity to her statements. And later on, it was very clear that that was juxtaposed with how some of the other speakers used the generic we. We love yes. you. We this, we that, we the other. Um, which for me, it just grates because I, I don't trust it. I, I totally agree. And and I think um, exactly like you're saying, Peter, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I'm really inspired by what Sarah has, has um, expressed about what about the women who want to do more or who are asking questions or who are expressing a discomfort. Um, I would like to in so many ways, um, and I appreciate the language here I'm using is, is maybe about performance, but let's face it, performance is, is part of how the church comes across. It, it's, you know, things are very polished. They are very slick. Um, the, the, the filming looks good. Um, Tracy uh, DeMarco in so many ways was the, the star of that show. Um, I wanted to ask her, talk to us about this committee. What are you seeing? What are you talking about? What What is the future like? What are women going to be doing? Will we see more of this? Um, when we've been focusing, well, when we've been focusing on, on safeguarding, the people who respond to our questions in church um, and, and leadership, uh, and and legal terms also, they're all men. Um, you know, we had initially reached out to you know the, the women's committee where we we reached out to them. We we contacted Sister Demarco, and certainly from a best practice safeguarding point of view, women should be part of those conversations. Um, when it comes to reporting, uh, the ideal is that a safeguarding lead is a woman or is is not a man. Um, I would have loved to have heard her speaking to the concerns about, you know, so many women and men have reported back to us that they've asked questions about just, I don't feel that this subject is being addressed properly. I'm a bit concerned about this. Um, and, and they get released for having the audacity to ask that question. She has, she's in a unique position. I would love to hear about her experience. Um, what about women who have more to give and, and who would like to know, can, can I do this? Can I can I tell a bishop I would like to serve in this way rather than wait for, to, you know, how can, we, we spoke about this, this um, the other day, how can women or can women carve out roles for themselves in church? Um, is, is there a way to do that? Is there a way we only have to follow in the footsteps of what has been done and not that there's something new that is unexplored. Yeah, I think it's I, I dangerous. Like that 
it's dangerous, Jane, because you get sympathetic bishop and absolutely go for it. Do do what feels right for you. And then you'll get the next bishop. And this tells you it was never about um, the the woman doing what felt autonomous and, and right for her. It was always about with the permission of a man. Um, mm-hmm. And the next bishop will come along and pull the rug out from under the organisation for whatever it is they're doing that feels the right fit for them and, their, and the people that they're working with. And then it goes and that breaks people's hearts and leaves them feeling very um, sort of broken and vulnerable and, and like, did I do something wrong? No, of course you didn't. You were you were doing something that felt like the right solution and you're a grown up for crying out loud. And you should be able to make a judgment call on what feels right for you and, and in whatever way your capacity you're serving. And I think when it goes to the, the sister um, DeMarco, um, I think it is it is promising that they've got this sort of women's organisation running parallel with the um, area presidency. But I don't believe it. I don't believe it in as much as I don't see sister DeMarco being the closing speaker at a men's meeting and bringing it home and saying right I'm going to tie all the thoughts together because pat you on the head men I'm here now to tell you what's what I can't see them standing for that I can't see them going for that even though gosh she could do it yeah I was just going to see that she would be brilliant at that yeah and I know Heidi Griffith from long 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 ago um and just a lovely woman and very smart and very um, just on the ball. So I think she's probably going to be doing a great job in the background. Yeah. But it's always in the blooming background. It's never modelling men. Listen to these women. Not only have they got something important to say, but you need to listen to them. You you know, just because you've got the priesthood doesn't mean that they in any way... Um, have anything less to say than than our co-people who are sat in the area presidency. They are leaders in their own right over you as well. And that will just I just can't see that ever flying at church, but I but gosh, they've got stuff to say. Peter. And that will never happen till there's women's ordination. You know, they can they can create fake patronizing roles and, and give the guff about equality. But until the person they are talking to is equal to them in the priesthood ordination system, they will never, ever, ever actually regard them as equals, especially when the whole system exaggerates the worst side of patriarchy and the men who rise to leadership in the church or or the vast majority of them. It's just it's just not going to happen. And it's really sad. I mean, are there any women, are the women involved in the National Safeguarding Committee that's working on the policy in the country? Yes. Are there? Yes. Sorry, I'll shake it. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Um, Great information. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it's but uh, but then in the church system, this is great because they always pilot something before spreading it around. They want people to gradually get used to it. It's always too slow. They will never get this in place in time to save the church. It's doomed. Um, If they did it all now, they might just give themselves a chance and women might hang around for this, but they're not going to. But this is their system, is you pilot something and then the men say how good it was to have the women's voice, as long as they didn't talk too much, according to ballad and um and then it will start to get spread but they the the first presidency don't model this you know they or or certainly in the the recent generation no women were 
had even a hint that the family proclamation was being created until President Hinckley phoned them up and told them he's taking over the women's session of conference to announce it. Because, of course, he doesn't want to upset all the men who'd have had talks prepared. This is their moment in the sun. The women can shut mm. up and make room for it and change their talks, but not, not the male priesthood leaders. That would have been too socially awkward. And no women were involved in the November policy. You know, they don't actually practice this. But if they did, as you say, if they actually listened, they'd stop being, doing so many dumb things. They would. They would you know, they'd actually... And, and the irony, on Sunday, the Elders' Quorum lesson was Elder Suarez's talk last conference about how men and women are equal in the church and always has, have been and are equal in marriage. And I was like, you kidding me? So I kind of gently worded it as... Well, my recollection is that, you know, that we absolutely used to be taught that the man is the master of the home and he makes the final decisions and he presides. And isn't it wonderful that this gradual change has happened? And then the lesson suddenly flipped to, oh, yeah, well, OK, yeah, that's ongoing revelation, isn't it? You know, isn't it great that God's teaching his people? And then I was like, no, it wasn't. It was feminist activists <laughs> changing society and changing the church. And then it was, oh, yes, well, you know, you can't put new wine into old bottles. So we have to wait for society to change for the good things to happen. And you've gone a complete 180 degrees from yeah. the prophets lead to people to the future as rev through revelation to they have to drag behind the social innovations that other people did all the work for, usually yeah. women. Yeah. And, and the state of quantum uncertainty that, the typical TBM Mormon mind exists in is they're always holding these two completely opposite positions in their minds at the same time and they'll bounce between the two as if they're not contradictory and they just can't see it and it's so maddening but this is why women end up trapped because they're not given real power they're given patronizing platitudes they're given token roles occasionally and we're not it's not that we're not just given real power yeah. we're given we're given Mm. masses of responsibility but no power mm. so it, yeah. uh, and yeah. this is something for another day but you know we are made literally responsible mm. for the thoughts and actions of men literally yes. responsible mm. we're made mm. responsible for risking our own life to bring new life into the world even when it's not economically sensible it's not sensible for our health we might have health concerns but keep having babies keep having babies and mm. um, we're, we're made responsible for so many things at church. So many auxiliaries just could not function without women taking up the helm and, and running them. And yet we have no ability to be an instrument for change. We've got such soft power. It, it's pathetic. And yet there's so many very, very experienced, sensible women that have a lot to say and a lot of effort, you know, could have put a lot of effort into making good change for everybody, not just for women, good change for everybody. Um, and I think it's it's moment just... I yeah yeah sorry go ahead. sorry I was going to say the moment I sort of realised that this is they can't change they're incapable of it was when they announced the come follow me um, study at home system you know a home centred church supported by Sunday church and I was, and in the past the only way to frame being the priesthood patriarch in the home in any way reasonably was to kind of say right if you're going to go for the women nurturing you know taking care of the social emotional and feeding of the children the patriarch role then is a spiritual role you bring it you 
dad are responsible for making sure your family has spiritual experiences you you make sure they pray you organize family home evening you do the spiritual things you teach your family at least that gives them a job um but th when they presented this they immediately put it all on the women there was no discussion at all about men leading the con follow me they talked and the the films they showed about it it was all this is another thing for women to do and i was like <laughs> hang on what how does that work with our narratives of the priesthood holder in the home leading the religious life of the family they do they literally gave that job as a yet another burden for the mothers and the wives to feel mm -hmm. guilty about and carry yeah. no, well I, let's push along a little bit yeah no. um so we don't have Sarah. the The link isn't working. The I think that her mobile is just struggling with um with the job it had to do. So she is going to join us in the comments. So if you are listening, hanging out there is is going to be great because we've got Sarah with us, um in spirit and in in words. Um, I yeah. So I I want to see more from those women because I I am a lot more hopeful. Um, I, I think I think sometimes it's, it's, we're beginning to see some precedents being set. Um, I don't know. I just I have a feeling that maybe we'll maybe we'll see some changes or some progress in that way. But certainly with voices like those women, I want to hear more from you. So that, that's that's my formal request. Talk to us more about what's happening, what you think, and what your solutions are. Um, let's move on to Sister Browning, who um, was bloody brilliant. I liked this. Um, I'm going to just jump straight to Ruth. Get, what what were some of your impressions? Yeah, I did like it. Again, she was, she was for me, those, those two first speakers were for me, the highlight of it. I thought it was a, a little bit tone deaf in, in just because she's she's flown in from the States. She's talking to women in the UK and she's straight away talking about holidaying in Mexico and going zip lining and, yes. and try buying artwork. And it just feels a little bit um a little bit like she's talking to a certain group of, of wealthy women that maybe yeah it wouldn't resonate with a lot of people in the church and a lot of women in the church. So, but she seemed like a really lovely lady and she wanted to bring a real life experience in that and how she'd read it as spiritual, um, a spiritual experience. Um, as soon as she started giving the experience of the zip line and I, I knew where we were going with it, with the whole analogy. Um, and I thought in some ways it was quite a good analogy, the whole, you know, putting down things of, of value for something that was better and, this heavy harness, but it was all worth it in the end. I thought, it, you know, it's quite quite a nice little analogy. I think for me, with both the analogies that she used, what jarred with me is the, she talked about them as far as burdens. So the burden was putting on the harness to go zip, zip lining. And both that and buying artwork, I just felt like, but their choices, that's not a burden. That's not like caring for a disabled child. That's not like the burden of mental health issues or, um, you know, poverty. Or this is something you're choosing to do with your family for fun. And I know it's an analogy and I know she just wanted to build on, on that um, that picture. And, and But I just felt, gosh, maybe there was a bit of a better one. 
and that she talked about getting to the top of the zip line and having this beautiful vista and and she felt the spirit and I again I know I'm sitting in a different place now and I probably would have done 10 years ago thought oh yeah she that what it was the spirit that she was feeling but you know you do anything that's and end up somewhere beautiful and you're going to feel good and exhilarated and like wow go me I achieved something here today and I feel really good about this and I'm excited about life and I'm glad to be with my family it doesn't mean it's the spirit because if it did it meant it means that everybody else who's walking on the planet having those good feelings who also are choosing to zip line in Mexico um you know you're, you're negating their good feelings or saying that they're feeling the Holy Ghost about zip lining, and they're not. They're, it, it's just good feelings are good feelings, and it's elevated emotions, and you're jolly well right to have them. It sounds like a fabulous time, but I take it with a big pinch of salt that it then links to the the spirit. But yeah, I thought she did a really good job. Um, I'll let Peter talk about the artwork because um, it's probably more his <laughs> his realm. But that one, that one, I felt a bit triggered by. Yeah. Peter. Well, to, yeah, well, it's always lovely to hear about art people buying art. Do more yeah. of that, everyone, um, as an art teacher. Um, so, but I, I agree with you that it was very much, this is middle-class wealthy people's lives she was describing. Yes. Then my second layer of thought on that was so, well, that's kind of cool because she's black and actually women who are black have to kind of assert the fact that they can have that kind of life too because the case <coughs> in America <coughs> discourse particularly is that if you're a black woman you're you're from the ghetto you're in poverty you're troubled and your man has left you already um and so i think maybe in a way that's kind of cool like she can be an equal in that sense she's fighting several conceptual battles on on front so so maybe that was an, an, a positive way to frame that but but yeah it was very much wasn't it just here i am doing expensive things none of you will be able to afford because not many people can afford to go and buy art. And and then it's the, again, the God of Lost Keys thing, the, co the, the shallow coincidence that she bought a beautiful painting of some children. As she was leaving, the mother of the, those children came in, um, saw it was the painting she'd gone there to get and offered her double the money or something. And she talked through, through her social awkwardness about that and... And of course, the reason she was there was to give this painting to that mother instead. But then you think, well, no, because if you hadn't gone there, then the other mother would have just gone in and bought it. <laughs> so yeah. she didn't need your help to do that. You nearly screwed it up. Yeah. Like if the spirit was really working on you, you'd have got distracted that day. Someone would have phoned you up and you wouldn't have gone. And... But anyway, um, but, you know, that's sort of been the sceptical thing. But well, when, maybe, again, maybe this just is all to... they're offering. They're offering the warm fuzzies that are, as you yeah. said, are part of normal life and coincidences happen. And I, my, you know, my dad asked me, I think he's asked me a couple of questions since I've been ex, you know, I have, no longer have the priesthood and all that. Um, you know, uh, he sort of gently asked a few questions about my spiritual life, you know, like, mm -hmm. am I still praying or get? In a sense, I think it's about, are you still getting that sense of God or relationship with God and so on. Um, and yeah, I can certainly say that if you've been excommunicated and been stripped of your temple endowment and your priesthood, the cute coincidences still happen and you don't need yeah. to be praying every day for them to occur and you can still appreciate them and feel good and say, thank you God or whoever made that happen. Um, 
And so I'd, I'd it, like to talk for a little second. Making a lot out of very little. Yeah. Yeah. I reckon talking about the warm fuzzies for a moment, which is what which is what women's conference or women's conferences are often just coming back to it's about the warm fuzzies and there's little content. Mm. Um <clears throat> my my experience of what I would define as as the spirit, I am quite happy to be the only person in the whole world that will call that thing the spirit. So if it's the God of Lost Keys, that's that's absolutely fine because I needed the keys and um you know, in that moment, if I'm finding some kind of divine connection, I'm, I'm happy to call it that. I love that, you know, um, Richard talks about it being the same feeling um, as, you know, driving over a humpback bridge that that, um, that your little girl would experience. <laughs> yeah. I So, and I remember teaching a lesson to young women, um, not out the manual. We I, I took them outside. We all stood on a very low wall and I asked them to jump. Uh, but in the second before they jump, just to pay attention to what that feeling is, I think that's what eternity feels like. I think that can be what the spirit feels like. I um, can connect to the spirit in the warm, fuzzy ways or in the, but it has to be accompanied with the painful ways and the, the less comfortable ways. And I'm okay with all of that as long as there is substance to it. And that is not what my whole faith hangs on. I guess is what I'm saying. So I feel like there's there's a place for it. If if um if she's seeing God in those moments, awesome. T tell me more, but also give me something to work with. And I feel like I actually feel like she, you know, she she did because as she's talking about having to feel like, <laughs> I, I mean, as it, it is a bit silly. It's that the experiences that most women who are in that audience are never going to have of especially you know the the demographic of being older women in the church we're an aging church um of having to feel safe while someone is going to catch you or this machinery is going to work um ha having to trust <laughs> that you're not going to fall to your death um but also having this connection moment with another woman who's in pain and she talked about the, the God moment for her was how um, she talked about how it was sort of a, an awkward moment or an awkward thing that they have to get through. And they got through that by talking. So she talks to this mother um, because she doesn't initially realise what the situation is and the, um, that she's talking to the people who are harnessing her in and, you know, helping her to feel secure. And I... I thought she gave us a little bit to work with there about how those conversations are really important because that's the warm fuzzy. The, the, the coincidence is just almost sort of a, the, the red herring, the warm fuzzy, that the real moment is in that connection. connection. Yeah, it's the human yes. connection, yeah. isn't it? And it's, as, as Sarah said, it's about loving each other and and. And loving each other through your actions, not just in the warm, fuzzy words and saying that talking the talk, it's really walking the walk. And if you believe in Jesus, it's doing it to try and be like him. And 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 I think that's that's the nub of her talks. That's the bit that it would have been really good if if she had spent more time developing that 
I was in this one situation where I talked and talked and talked to somebody and then I trusted them. I was in this other situation where I talked and talked and talked to this person and then I understood yes. them and I was able yes. to show empathy in this way. We didn't need the whole big talk around those things. We didn't need the big analogies around it. We just needed to understand that she had found in both of those moments a human connection with somebody else and through mm. it, it had led her to act in a certain way that that's powerful and that's that transcends all religions and non-religions doesn't it that that human yeah. connection is so vital and important and and okay we we can say that that's just uh this is an ordinary experience i see divine in those connection experiences uh, and you know and and you don't have to that's what it looks like for me so i i think um yeah seeing it as opportunity we could have those conversations with anyone we could have those god moments with anyone but she gave us a key there um to what i would like to keep from her talk that's one of those things i wanted to hold on to but she was talking about how i, I don't even know how what what i wanted to do with this she referred to keeping her covenant not i keep my covenants uh and this sort of generic broad yeah all of them are, are ticked she talked about her covenant and I, I just i don't think i've ever heard it talked about in the the singular before mm. and i liked that mm. she knew exactly which covenant she was talking about there did you notice as well that that the first two speakers neither of them quoted from the book of mormon and neither of them quoted and modern day prophets either. They both focused on the New Testament. They both focused on, on Jesus. Um, and I thought, I thought, was that an on purpose or was that just a coincidence that that was the case? But yeah, when she spoke about covenant, one thing she did say um, was covenant makers get special help. But then she went on to say, and we ought to help each other. So mm. I don't like covenant makers get special help. I think that's... Yeah. Um, exclusive and and demoners sort of wording instead of saying maybe <laughs> instead of saying maybe covenant um makers should be doing more or, or should expect or, or you know should expect to help people more because they know a yes. little more but mm. but yeah I, th I thought that was interesting I thought it was really interesting that both her and Tracy DeMarco really lent into New Testament and the Saviour Yes. Uh, Peter, any other thoughts about that talk or shall we move um, on? I think, yeah, I mean, so um, you mentioned earlier, sort of, we were talking about um, how can women step up into making roles for themselves? Um, and what struck me is all, everything you need to run the church properly is in the seminary scriptures. DNC 58 is all about being anxiously engaged in a good cause and you've already got permission. And it then follows up with, if you only do stuff kind of grudgingly when other people tell you to, you don't get any blessing for that. In fact, you're damned. And I think that ties in really well with Jesus's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, if you only love people who love you back, if you only do the easy things, mm -hmm. um, that's its own reward. You're not getting any heavenly blessings for that because people without religion do that. That's normal transactional relationships. So he taught that the way you start being a Christian is where you go the extra mile, where you turn the other cheek for them to keep hurting you, and but you still stay with them, where you re pray for the sinner, where you want to be present with them and show them a better way rather than running away or not bothering. Um, and 
and Doctrine and Covenants 58, I think, is fantastic because it it just destroys this whole system we have in the church that you have to wait to be told by someone higher up what to do, or you can only do the thing that's always been done before. Didn't see 58, and I got this at 14, and I just find it so heartbreaking that the whole church has kind of forgotten this because they taught it to us when we were kids. It says you've already got permission. Mm. God wants you to identify roles for yourself and just do them. If they're good, they're good. And you don't need to get permission for The same for people first. that were writing the Doctrine and Covenants were also um, mm. subjugating women, trafficking women. Um, you know, so telling us that we can build our own roles for ourselves is ignoring that that was also the dynamic of the same people that were writing down the Doctrine and Covenants. So I, I hold little space for that. I'm, mm. I'm happy to go to the New Testament and, and, and do the whole, you know, mm look for the need and, and be the need but I, I find it really mm. tricky and challenging to to give space for doctrine and covenants when we've not we've not publicly and categorically distanced ourselves as an organization from those people and their practices at that time mm. um, and only mm. by doing that can we hold space for any of those relevant thoughts and, and powerful thoughts and, and give them credence mm. because they were doing both at the same time so for women it's it's a really yeah. um painful new well new testament tells says that women can't speak in church so they're all as bad as each other to be fair <laughs> um yeah that's, that's very that's clear great. in, in Paul's yeah. letters <laughs> um, fine. No, I, mean, no more calling. I agree with you <laughs> so i i agree with you completely in 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 that we have to filter somehow. So this is kind of where my way of approaching things comes from, why my podcast is called Mormon Civil War. And I frame things as it's either Christian or it's Pharisee. It's either Christ, the, you know, the good Jesus's plan or it's Lucifer's plan. And we've been doing both all along, all the time in the same church, in the same scriptures from the pre-existence. And again, in Mormonism's favor, it actually with the pre-existent story of that conflict and what it was about it was about control lucifer saying i will do all your thinking for you i'll make all your choices for you you call me god uh, but you have to give up entire freedom to do it versus jesus saying you will have freedom to think for yourself and choose but there'll be risk you know you you have to be responsible for the consequences um i think mormonism framing the entire nature of the universe and the human struggle in that way is actually really helpful even though the current leadership would never see it that way because they just want to be obeyed like lucifer um so i i i totally agree with you therefore the only way to engage with any religion is to is to filter is to pick and choose is to say these ideas these stories these scriptures resonate with what seems to me the core message of the, of the good Jesus, but the other things attributed to him or others saying that doesn't work with that, I'm going to put that in the other camp. I'm going to say that's that's human frailty, that's selfishness, that's power hungriness, that's control freakery, that's the Pharisee religion, that's Lucifer's religion. And in this religion, we've already been told what they both are in actually a very clear way that most Christians don't articulate it. Again, a I, gift to us yeah. that we're squandering. I so I'm, I'm agree with you. We need to set fire to DNC 132. Absolutely. You know, I'm not pretending yeah. the doctrine and covenants is all sweetness it's... and light, but it has the the ideas in it that could save us if we adopted them. Yeah. 
sorry. I don't think I think this, the 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 organisation that you want to save, though, with all respect, works for men. It doesn't work for women, and it never has done, and it never never was intended to. And 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 I know that generically we're supposed to read um, mankind, and uh, you know, man is that he might have joy, and all of those sorts of things, and see he means both men and women, surely. But actually, no. Read it as it's read it as it's written. Mm. Because that is the honest truth of of, of, oh, mm. of the religion, yeah. you know, and and you can expand that to mm. Christianity, and and I, you know, I completely mm. agree mm. that women were told to shut up and and put yeah. up, and and what was lovely yeah. was in um, uh, Casey Marcos talk where she talks about actually if you really analyse who were there for the most important parts of the Savior's life, it was women. All of the the big events were witnessed by and um support and he was supported by women now all of that gets forgotten in in the christianity that is filtered through the ages and we know literally things were taken off the table that reference women in the book that then became the bible so you know we look at the new testament and then we think it's a book and, and obviously it's a collection of things that were correlated by a group of men back in the day um unfortunately fortunately there were good guys like you around to um to stand up and challenge but you pay the price for that and maybe yeah. and maybe that's a high price to pay for speaking up and speaking to power but that's the experience that's the lived experience of most women at church that you speak to power yeah. and you get metaphorically burnt as a witch whether it's excommunication or just yeah. just snubbed and silenced you're the difficult one your hard work yeah you know yeah well let's put a pen in some of these ideas that we're going to come back and revisit next wednesday night uh peter's going to join us to talk a little bit more about uh the church in exile this is year two of excommunication so we're going to talk a little bit more about um what it's like for peter um moving on to sister craven's talk um, I got less and less excited and still fewer and fewer <laughs> notes as I went. I found this particularly difficult. And I know that at general conference, um, people had sort of similar difficulties. Um, Ruth, do you want to maybe summarise what was being spoken about? Oh, do you know, she started off... Um, I really, really wanted it to be good because the first two I was thinking, oh, we're, you know, this is this is promising. This is promising. Mm -hmm. She started off, and and uh, I'm sorry, it's an Americanism, but she had that silly, um, pretend childlike, silly voice that that just grates, um, speaking very sweetly and softly, and it it just rings really false. It rings pretend. It doesn't ring like a real voice. Um, what I struggled with was that she was talking in streams of consciousness. It was lots of sound bites, but no real thoughts were completed and finished. So it was just say all the buzzwords. It was like listening to children in primary or seminary class. Yeah. Say your prayers, read your scriptures. What, what else yeah. do I need to say to get the tick boxes that I've said the right answer somewhere in there? Yeah. It, it felt like that. Then when she started banging on about covenant path, like that's been around forever. No, it hasn't. It's been around for maybe 10 years as a, as a buzzword and as a phrase. But it, that bell gets rung, doesn't it? It's, it's dog whistle Mormonism to say things like covenant path, but not actually finish the thought of where you're going with that, which is it's exclusionary. There is a them and us approach to everything. And, and I, just, I just find it 
depressingly sad. She also then wanted to talk about the prophet and how wonderful he was and how Elder Cook says how wonderful he is. And I just thought, you, you're just navel gazing now. Don't tell me how somebody is wonderful. Let me see them in action being wonderful. And I'll say that they're wonderful, but I don't need to take your word for it. Well, could we rewind back a little bit to, to the beginning of the talk? And this is where I start. <laughs> In the beginning is where I started to struggle. Um, <laughs> what I love is when in conference we get to see voices or, 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 or talks where we get to see marginalised voices being amplified. That is exciting and beautiful to me. And I think the best example that we have ever seen of that was a few years ago and there was a special relief society conference sort of very edgy and fun and not conference like at all presented more like ted talks and uh, they they used that opportunity to ask a queer woman to come and speak and didn't speak for her but you know it was a perfect way to amplify the voice of someone who is traditionally marginalized at the beginning of um Sister Craven's talk, she immediately goes to amplifying the voice of a young woman who is in a wheelchair. And we don't get to see that. I don't think I've ever heard a wheelchair user speak in a conference mm. or um, anything like that. And she's a young woman. This is very, very good. I hated it mm. because um, what we saw easily do despite the fact that this was the young woman's own words they, they weren't changed it was um it was a recording we jumped so quickly to um making disabilities or marginalized voices like disability porn like emotional porn and we're supposed to sort of tilt our head say oh that's so sweet and look at your testimony we have a tendency to infantilize the voices of people in the, the disabled community and I felt like this was a young woman who was being very clear on what she said and thought but she seemed like she was eight years old um you know it it, it did feel it, it did feel younger than a typical 12 year old girl um is is no longer i remember when when i was serving in the young uh, as, as young women's presidency one of the first things i did as young women's president was to go to the young women's cupboard and chuck all of the books out that were about um pinafores and butterflies and uh you know just because our, our young women aren't eight years old anymore they are beginning at 12 going through to 18 and they are mature and they are smart and maybe the days of of a 12 year old being um <laughs> i don't i they're not that age anymore <laughs> i i really really struggle with talking down to young women because they can handle it they are ready to be treated like the young adults uh, the the young women that they are um and I and I say that in an inclusive way. Um, often we have a lot of transgender in, in our wardrobe alone. You know that there are transgender young women who are not women. Um, they are part of the audience. Um, so while I love seeing the mic past, I don't even know if I can verbalise exactly why it was a struggle to me. Um, because 
it didn't seem to do anything other than double down on here is a young woman who feels the spirit. I don't know. Would one of you guys jump in and see if see if perhaps this? I've just I've just tried really hard not to think about it because I didn't like it. So continue. Uh, how about we go to you, Peter? Um, it's difficult, isn't it? Because we want inclusion. And as you say, this is a rare thing. It was great to have someone in a wheelchair speaking and being listened to by everyone as someone with her own voice. So I thought that was very positive. Mm. I don't think you should be necessarily surprised that it ends up being a ditzy testimony because that's what the the te the leader lady was doing with her whole talk. So, you know, it's yeah. hardly it's all on the same spectrum. Um, and it's all it's going to be faith promoting, isn't it? I think I mean, you could say Jesus started all this because he he made pity for the disabled a key part of his ministry and then healed them. Um, and, you know, so that's a big part of the narrative, you could say. Um, the idea of, uh, you know, how do you cope with um, completely outrageous in, uh, injustice, unfairness in your life because you have some kind of mental or physical disability or a situation in your life you cannot change and you're kind of trapped by. Um, so I think it's valid to speak to that and to speak from that that place. You know, it is symbolic of the 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 things we all experience that can be a bit like that in our lives. Um, but definitely, I mean, that there, there, there's a long history of the church sort of doing disabled porn and <laughs> that's just demonetized you um uh, but also um it's it's vicarious gratification from other people's suffering and they really do it with the poor um one of the things that's really radicalized me you know in in speaking up against the leadership is particularly the financial stuff that the poor they keep gloating about the destitute paying tithing and the poor man, and even when the presiding bishop were trying to gaslight and do a quick interview to have good PR after the whistleblower revealed that they were sitting on hundreds of billions of dollars in Enzyme Peak, one of the councillors in the bishopric had to say that if you have to make a choice between buying your children food or paying tithing, you should pay the tithing. They weren't going to budge on that. They were making clear this doesn't change anything. You must still do this. But they insist on giving themselves a salary as general authorities that is in the top 10% of income for Americans and Brits, who are the richest countries on earth. In fact, probably more like top 3% because they get everything else paid for and it's tax-free. Yeah, I was going to say, it's the remuneration package that goes around it. And they don't have half the expenses that would use the senior executive salary up. Yeah. Um, and so they have already made sure that none of them will ever 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 come even slightly close to the situation where they have to choose between feeding their children or paying tithing yeah. they're expecting the poor to do that for them and they talk about it like we're all in this together and it could happen to anyone and when you challenge people about the idea of why are we paying our general authorities high salaries rather than a, a survival stipend they always say well if they were in business in those roles they'd get far more money you know that tbms um rationalize that and make it seem okay yeah but but then they'll pile onto the poor so it's it's sick you know the stories of the the african 
missionary who scrimped and saved to afford his mission and he's going to appreciate it more because he had to suffer like in the enzyme in conference talks they say things like that it's fetishizing the poor because their own children are yes. not having to make that scrimpy yeah. savey thing it's the poor people have to find everything more difficult have yeah. to have the massive crisis of faith Within a prosperity gospel, if you're poor, you need to improve the prosperity gospel. Yeah. yeah. There's something wrong with you, you know, they, if you're not they, So every time they do a talk about someone having to choose between feeding their children or paying tithing, mm. I just think you utter hypocritical yeah. bastard. Because you have made sure that their tithing, their actual tithing, is given to your family so that you never have to do that yourself. Yeah. So going but you're back to talking the about girl, it as if everyone has to pass that spiritual test. It going back they to the make it girl, harder it, for the poor to be Mormons. Yeah, sorry, go. That's all right. I was just going to say. Yeah. Oh, hi, Doug Vincent. Um, she was an American young lady, and again, it feels like this talk was a recycling of a talk, and she had prepared this clip before because there are lots and lots of really interesting youth in the UK that would have been really happy to participate, and I bet that girl was really excited that that um this this woman was was taking her clip and using it and showing it in different firesides and presentations but ultimately it's it's tokenism it really really is and it didn't actually um do anything other than make a few people like you say just go oh isn't she sweet it it really um and it really bothers me especially when i know that in most of the lifespan of the church um, having a disability, whether physical or mental, was seen as a judgment from God. It was seen as you were less valiant in the pre-existence. So it feels um, quite damaging then to not address that and and to just trot someone out for the for the R's and the U's. It, it just feels a little bit like we're doing some sort of a, you know, isn't she cute? Isn't she lovely? Instead of no, this is a this is a real person who has her own thoughts and her own integrity and her own views on things, and we're not going to just trot her out for entertainment value. We're going to allow her to have a seat. The fact that she's in a wheelchair is irrelevant, but it, of course it is relevant because she she didn't just choose anyone; yeah. she chose her. Yeah, that's the paradox. Um, so I, I guess we where my struggle is. As the mother of a son who has at times been used as um, emotional disability porn for, you know, for, for lots of different reasons, um, who is infantilized by by people who just, you know, they don't realize what they're doing most of the time. This is, I, I, this is, I think, a very unconscious act that previously we, we've just had this talk from um, Sister Browning. And she makes this connection of this artwork that she's bought. Um, the mother of the child who's who's in this this painting, they connect because she she talks in this really vulnerable, uh, honest way. You can feel the, the truth in the experience. And she's talking about how uh, the mother traces the the outline of, of this daughter's back uh, because the, the, the child in the picture looks healthy. The later on, the child was, was going to be very, very sick. And um, Sister Browning 
totally understood what that physical motion meant that as she traced that that's what mm -hmm. I used to do when it was my premature daughter and I valued these pictures where she looked very healthy um, and I would do that tracing motion too and that was the beautiful connection and I have struggled over the years with the ensign story or the story of whether it's disabilities but normally it would be something like cancer where the person has cancer and they go to church anyway and they still served and they still they, they still showed up in all of these meaningful ways and what an inspiration they are because they are still going to church and um you are there to be an example still even cancer isn't enough to release you from having to be this person this expectation that the community have of you to uh, be an inspiration and and so when it comes to oh my goodness this is the first time I've seen a conference with a speaker who is a young woman. Her words are being amplified. That is exciting and wonderful. And yet I'm finding pain in it because the, I, I, I don't even know how to fully express it, but the young woman was making very clear that she feels positive about the future and that she she doesn't worry about, you know, these kinds of things because she has all this hope in the gospel. And the reality is that if you're going to look at the, if you're going to amplify the voice of a marginalised community, you have to hear their pain. You also have to hear what, what we need to do to make, um, to mitigate the fact that, they are marginalised and we don't hear their voices that during COVID they've been through hell and their mobility has been affected through not being able to move around as much, um, that they've not been able to have the sacrament, that they don't get to pass the sacrament, that all of these things that are part of the pain of living in the right now and not just having, forget before you even get into the future, that's what I really struggle with as a mother. I want to see if my child is being spoken about or their voice amplified, you have to hear their whole voice and not just the parts of the story that, that are ticking the Mormon boxes, if that makes sense. Yes. And I, I struggle because it is brilliant. It was unfiltered. It was what she said. But it could have so easily been scripted, you know. Um, so, yeah. Later on, um, Sister Craven, and, and Peter, you, you've already... It, oh, sorry, Ruth, you had already mentioned this. Um, so Sister Craven then goes on to just just say the Mormon words, just say all of those magic words that we put together. That. It feels like one of those, um, what do you call those um, sort of word art pictures where you just <laughs> put all of the words down and it just comes up with this, you know, th this bunch of words and phrases that are motivational and, and inspirational and don't connect with me in a human way. Because Sister Craven was talking about the we's and the we shoulds, mm. I want to know, Sister Craven, I want to know what you think and what your experience is. We went from vulnerability and honesty mm. and realness and and. And you amplified a young woman's voice with disabilities. Oh, my goodness. God bless you for that. Thank you for doing that. But I need to know what you think and what you're connecting with. And 
what what are you strengthened by when it gets really tough? Because even when you're telling me how wonderful the prophet is, you even start quoting another general authority to tell me how wonderful you think the prophet is. Have you had no experiences with the prophet that you could you could talk about for yourself? Tell me about you. Let me connect with you. Mm. Um, let's jump to you, Ruth. Why should it matter how wonderful she thinks the prophet is? It doesn't matter. It's it's meaningless. It's perfectly meaningless. It really, really doesn't matter because if if you are there to talk about the spirit, the saviour, it's Jesus's church. It's not the prophet's church. If you're there to talk about those things, then the other th bits fall into place anyway. You're not. You're not. You shouldn't need to be doing the hard sell on Russell Nelson, and you shouldn't need to be doing the hard sell by telling me how great Cook thinks Nelson is. That's that's ridiculous. That's utterly ridiculous. And if that's the only selling point, somebody at this other bloke thinks that this bloke's great. What's that got to do with anything? It's just utterly nonsense. And and like you say, when she starts speaking in the wheeze, you know, we've gone down the Mormon Avenue of I'm not going to put my name behind this. I'm going to talk generically and I'm going to say we because then it makes an, a them and us. It's you and it's we. Mm. So, so we're distant now. I'm not going to speak from my heart as an I. I've experienced this. I felt that. I'm going to say we. We collective are doing these things or thinking these things and you are now othered it's it's I, I know it's a really sort of small thing but it it's something that people particularly at church have done for a long time and it just bugs the snot out of me it really does <laughs> when people used to stand up in at the front of Sunday school and say we welcome you here today and I'm thinking there's only you Brian <laughs> who else is here but who is this we that's welcoming welcoming us out we're all just sat here looking at you um, do you know do you know what's so weird is that I've, yeah I, I'd written down this note that I thought was fantastic that I'd actually forgotten about through all of the words that she was saying about to, I mean to be fair it's the expectation is when women give talks we are quoting men we are we're you know it's based on whatever a man has said, whatever the talk has, has said we're encouraged to do that and so she is definitely following in that that vein um unfortunately it sets us up for the expectation that that's how women should speak that we should be drawing constantly on so, so that your faith is made up of quotes of what men have said have said but she talked about this really fantastic thing where she starts to tell a story that involves the the final phrase that i've written down is leaning into the lord and i and i really liked it and if you just did this talk about that idea yeah. and expanded on it I would be a hundred percent there for that I also liked that as um at some point I had noticed that as the previous speaker it might have even been yeah it, 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 I'm actually not sure um but um elder or president Baum moves over and gives up his seat for her so that he's no longer in that sort of first he's no longer immediately sitting on the stand he's moved out of the way and he's sort of sitting over next to elder elder Stuart now which I thought was very cool because we don't we don't really get to see that the the presiding person sits where we can all see 
I like that. Um, but yeah, um, Peter, any any other thoughts on Sister Craven before we, we move on? On Sister Craven's talk, uh, Sister Craven herself. Yeah. Well, it was. It was just spiralling random th consciousness things and, and trite nonsense. So, I mean, this is the thing that, that has driven my family nuts for generations, it turns out. So my mum used to, we, we'd have these big national conferences at the Royal Albert Hall in London or whatever. And she was, I think, it, uh, like a regional PR person. So she's going wanting some message to put into the newspaper article she's meant to produce afterwards and so on. And I remember one we where it was just the typical, and she was sort of cynical about it beforehand. It was all all the women said was you're so lucky to be here at these prophets and revelator apostles feet and we love britain and we used to be here and then they'd sit down they'd say nothing of substance except to big up the men and then the men would get up and just big up themselves they'd be like you're so lucky to be sitting at our holy feet and just to have us here and it's what they did again pretty much in the last in the british rescue with the three apostles last year they just talked about, we love you. We've got these connections with your country. Um, we've done no research whatsoever into what your real issues are right now. And we're going to waffle. And they couldn't be asked to actually prepare a talk. That yeah, like If I was in that position where I'm talking to a whole nation, and I know they're down to 11% active, I'd prepare a bloody talk. I'd, I'd, I'd actually want to rescue them. I'd make right. some kind of effort to speak yeah. to their needs yeah. and be relevant, especially if you're going to fly to the country and you can't, even on the flight, you can't be bothered to prepare <laughs> a talk. You're just going to wing it with aphorisms from conference. They're just... They're a bit shallow, you know. She's yeah. not as a person. She's clearly not that intellectually, whatever. Bless her heart, but that's the kind of person who's been promoted into this role because she can stroke the egos of the men really well. She and right she's playing things. that role, and we see it over and over in the in the church. She's got the primary voice down. She is a dangerous fundamentalist. Like if you actually listen to her talks in conference, the last one she was going on about. I think it was her about. Um, how pleased the Lord is with the 99 who just stay, stick together. We've all got to stick together and be good and be the same and do the right things. And she was just speaking to that Utah culture of us and them. Uh, as if, uh, I mean, in a way, it's good. To, yes, be the 99. Don't be the problem lost sheep because they're hard work. Well done. Like people should get credit for doing the right stuff. But she was kind of overdoing that like this is the club you all want to be in whereas again jesus taught the religion is about how you treat the outsiders and the most marginalized that's where religion kicks in at the border not in the 99 fold it's when you leave it that's when the religion starts happening yeah and she doesn't get that yeah maybe um, a bit of and, and get maybe it's like you know yeah. stand up for what you for what you think is right rather than mm. just go along with the power base that that, that that's a powerful story to to like yeah. um, and, and maybe maybe it is a case that you have to have suffered in life to be a good religious minister you know a lot of these people of men and women in leadership in the church have had a very comfortable life extremely privileged the tithe payers massively subsidized their university education which catapulted them into middle-class prosperity. They get automatic kudos in their communities. They're all related to the right people and married to the right people. And, and the whole system they're in elevates them. 
so you know losing your car keys does become your biggest life crisis you've ever faced <laughs> so perhaps you know what we're seeing here is tracy demarco as a scottish woman is living more in the real world of how hard it is to be a mormon where we're a tiny more minority and she appreciates how fragile it is tracy browning's had a premature child and is black in utah i mean that comes with all kinds of experiences mm -hmm. um and but Rebecca is not of that world, therefore she hasn't got much to say, unfortunately. And she hasn't it hasn't occurred to her, as you've said, to listen to other people to find out what they've got to say. I, I thought it so was interesting. It, it's just sad. Yeah, I thought it's it was interesting. Just, sorry, she's... just finished. It's, yeah, ju just to say, it's not enough to be the demographic. It's not enough to be a woman in leadership and to have your voice amplified because you're a woman. You also need something to say. You know, it's got to be both. Just like we're saying the religion has to be the mind and the heart. It has to make rational sense and it has to bring the love and the compassion and the empathy and the, and the spiritual depth. Um, it's not enough to have token anyone, as we've heard and been discussing. They also need to actually be able to speak for the people in their community who suffered. I've been spending quite a bit of time in my podcast having a right or go at Ahmed Corbett, who who amazingly is a black um, person in the a general presidency, in the young men's general presidency, you know, another pioneer. But what he says is Drek, he's an idiot. He he's actually quite he perpetuates racism in what he teaches. He's he's written an essay of his personal response to race and the priesthood that they've put into the institute manuals and all over the church website and it's basically saying in a nutshell the reason that god let us be racistly segregate for 126 years is so that when we get over our racism everyone will be surprised that the mormons aren't racist anymore and we can teach them how to overcome their racism ta-da it was all worth it slavery mm -hmm. And he, um, but because he's black, no one's questioned him that that's utter garbage, you know. But as it's always the case, as so it's always the case, the best both, people you know, to the stand life up experience. to, yeah. yeah, the best people yeah. to, for an organisation to gaslight its members is people from a marginalised group supporting the yeah. power base so you'll have yeah. a black man being used to prop up the racism of the church you'll have women being used to prop up the patriarchy and support those voices mm -hmm. and echo and parrot those voices over and again and i thought it was very ironic that she used the the example of her grandson standing up wanting to give his testimony and making up a yes. nonsense story just trotting out this load of diatribe she used that as her, it, what's he like, isn't he silly? After just giving a talk that was trotting out all the Mormon jargon and didn't have any joined up thinking in it. And she, she said, we don't need to, you know, we basically, we don't need to do that. We need to speak from the heart. Go right ahead, lady. We're waiting. Do go for it. We'll, we'll, we'll sit here and listen a bit more while you, while you have a collect your thoughts and actually speak from your heart rather than trotting out the normal patriarchal bullshit. So she had held up, she she had on the on the screen was a picture of the written testimony of this little boy who's just learning about spelling and so it's and she she translates it as 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 she goes and it's the story that his testimony consists of he what he's in china he he, he went to and he is going to his his 
work and except there's there is a zoo and there is some problem at the zoo and uh reinforces the, yeah the 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 work the work that he's doing gets mentioned a few times and then whatever is happening and in the end it's all okay in the name of jesus christ amen and i'm not exaggerating and it was you know it was delightful it was it was beautiful but also completely bloody horrific because the point of it is well he's learned that from us he's learned that mm -hmm. there is a formula to a testimony there is the terrible you know my life problem happens Jesus is the solution and here are the words to say to finish it off um and I get that what she's trying to sort of say is your, your testimony can be really simple it can be really easy it doesn't have to be a big story and and that's okay I, because I also have a problem with um people who are listening to testimonies um and slating them your testimony doesn't fit a testimony or it's the wrong kind of testimony or so many people get it, it we really turn into a quite a nasty audience quite a lot whenever testimonies are being born um and it's supposed to be crazy and off the wall and a little bit because that's what our faith looks like. It's It doesn't always make sense. So we're going to have testimonies that don't make sense. But it was this very, very disturbing uh, thing about how this, this kid is being groomed and, and what to say. That's what our kids are. We are groomed in what to say. When someone turns up to church for the first time and they don't look like the rest of us because they're not wearing a suit or they're not wearing, you know, the, the summer knee length or, or longer dress or whatever it looks like, um, we very quickly learn what we're supposed to look like at church. The, and, and this is one of the difficulties that I have and, and um our friend of the podcast, Debbie, had had sent a message as, as we were talking here because the, the reality is that Sister Craven has learned that to be heard, you have to speak in primary voice. This, yeah. is, this is what our voice sounds like. This is what the voice of a mother speaking to their child will sound like or a woman speaking to her husband will sound like. A woman speaking to a church audience to have any credibility has to sound non-threatening and that just becomes what the pitch and tone and cadence of your voice evolves into and we hate it and it, it's irritating and it's patronizing but it is a woman's actual voice um, and so there, there's a there's a delicate sort of balance there because I don't believe they're intending to patronize us but the effect of it becomes that we've been patronized um I also think I don't think for one second that she's stupid I don't think that she has nothing to say because what we often find is that to be credible often women's work like like sister Griffiths this is the first time we've heard you speak I, there must be a whole lot that you are saying or influencing behind the scenes or in committees or even before you get to a committee that, you know, that those those conversations that she's having, those relationships that she's building, that's where the gold is. Um, because if Sister Craven is indeed um, stupid, or doesn't have any thoughts of, of you know, her own, um, that would make her really dangerous because then she could say anything. And church would not have her and that, you know, church leaders would not put her in front of a crowd and risk 
going off, you know, on some crazy fundamentalist tangent. Um, So I believe there's probably a lot more to Sister Craven than we get to hear. Um, And the safest way to give a talking church is to rely on platitudes. So I guess that's why my, my hope is that Sister Craven, we will get to see more of that honesty that realness what is it you're actually experiencing um tell us what life is like for you Mm. shall we move on to the the final speaker who of course is the closing act um is elder baum or president baum how are we referring to whatever hans t baum and um europe area president so he could be a president yeah right president baum so he Bum. Bum? Bum? Yes. Bum. Yes. yes, yes. It looks like boom, but it's bum. bum. Hands, well, knees, and bums. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> do you remember <laughs> anything he said? I remember I, nothing I whatsoever do. at all that he's no, done. I do. Yep. We do. Because. The first thing that he did was to address the husbands who were sitting in the front row. And he, uh, what now, let me just see from my, (laughs) he let us know that he had been watching the faces of the husbands throughout the talks. And uh, he, he thanked them (laughs) for um, what their, their, what their wives had said. And uh, after that, I think I just pretty much gave up on on, on all thoughts of being you. able to. We love you, sisters. You are grandmothers. You are our mothers. You are our sisters. Sure. Yeah, that, oh, yeah, that's what emphasizing. he. Childbirth. He's describing <laughs> he said, how in Holland. Yes. They all of those things birth. that we are in adjunct to men. Right. Yeah. So let's he, come yeah, back to the. Stop it. No, 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 no. No, no, he was he was feeling your pain, ladies. For goodness yeah, sake, we're going no, to come back to that you. story, Peter. As a we're, ten we're year to... old, he watched his mother's waters break. <laughs> oh, What's let's not go you? there. Yeah, right. let's, let's get started. But once it's been public, has said, <laughs> "You are our leaders. You are our role models. You are our um, stateswomen. You are our." bosses wouldn't it have been lovely if he was able to give those yeah. sorts of examples you are the leaders of business you are all of these you are our professors of science wouldn't it have been nice to take yeah you, you're our grandmothers you're our mothers you're our sisters under the thumb of how you are in relationship to him i don't care who you are it, it's just rude to turn up to a room full of women and and say these men think you're pretty to the women that have spoken and we we collectively love you as grandmothers and mothers and sisters just do one well it it was circling back to the issue that i i i had very early on so we've got this um <laughs> i'm your I mother having you better watch that, Elliot. <laughs> I remember having this um, th- this moment where I'm thinking, oh, look at how engaged um, Elder Stewart is with, I believe he's listening to and learning from these women. And as the women were speaking, behind, uh, behind the speaker, the women that we could see on the screen were engaged, they were listening, um, it it, it was really, really good. I, I loved, I loved to see it. Um, 
And then Elderbaum gets up and he makes it very clear. I would during that I was looking at the men's faces. I was I was thinking about uh, so now we have to congratulate the husbands for what a great job their wives have done. Proving almost my point, and I'm resistant to it because I don't believe that he wasn't listening. Um, I no, I do. I, <laughs> I don't want to believe this, but you're just you're proving my point here. Like you, you actually. Why were you even looking at what they were saying? Because these amazing talks were being given. We are all here to listen to the women, and your focus is on their husbands um not you didn't even congratulate their role in supporting their their wife's work you know th thank you husbands for making sure that they are um supported in their lives um thank you for stepping up um and being a good human being no no you know congratulations and thank you um that, that they are allowed to speak in the first place Thank you. Making it feel like these women are the property of their husbands, the property of their fathers. The they are, they are <laughs> so that then when he goes on to speak then about this experience, I, I I'm I'm thinking okay, you've got me back. So, um, Ruth, do you want to talk a little bit about how he? how he began his actual talk. So he wanted to share about being at home and being a young child and having to witness the birth of another child in the house. Um, and that was just all a little bit odd. I think he wanted us to feel sorry for him and feel that that was somewhat, thanks Elliot, and feel that that was somehow um, you know, wasn't he, yeah, wasn't he brave? He, he, knows, he suddenly realised you're cooking the next meal, probably. Yeah, he lives out of the country. He doesn't have to put up with me most of the time. But um... for, for our podcast episode, Elliot Heath has said, my mum taught me when giving compliments to address things that people have deliberately chosen rather than uh, natural qualities over which they had no control. He needs a chat with my mum. <laughs> Thank you, Elliot. You are oh, correct. We agree. It's been well, well trained well done, by his mum. Um, so yeah, I think um, I think he gives this talk, and and I, it was obviously quite a traumatic, 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 traumatizing experience for him in lots of ways. Yeah. It seemed to come across in that way to me. I was listening to it, thinking that's obviously really stayed with you, and it sounds like you were quite panicked and stressed at the time. But he wants to make light of it but then go on to say, aren't, aren't women great for giving birth? And she had to stay in bed for six weeks. That woman was seriously, seriously ill. You don't stay in bed for six weeks after childbirth yeah. unless things have gone very badly wrong. And instead of, you know, maybe that should tell us a little bit about the stress and the strain that is put on female bodies through the... Um, the messages around just have another one just have another one which was certainly the case when he was a child growing up in the church so you know we, we didn't go down that route we, we but that rang alarm bells for me that this poor woman was six weeks in in hospital and then he was having to bring bring her beef soup and, and meat and things to try and build her up again she sounds like she was 
very, very seriously poorly. Um, and I just feel like, crikey, you've missed the point, mate. You really missed the point about well, what, let, what was going on there. Yeah, because I'd like you to talk more about that situation. But um, th this is why I... I actually felt like I, I had, a, had a bit of hope here that, oh, you're, you are going to speak to something super relevant because um, having raised children who for their brother with disabilities are young carers. Now, they are a marginalised group. They're a vulnerable group in society. They are overlooked. They are young carers have to do so much. Their education is impacted. Now, this has been... Elder uh, President Baum has been a young carer um, who should not have to deal with these things, but he he's in a position where he's having to offer care for his mum, and that is an incredible pressure that is to be applauded. The young carers in our society are massively undervalued. Um, they, they don't really get recognised for what they do. Oh, my goodness you've had this experience that actually could be incredibly helpful to people who care, especially because women tend to be the um, undervalued caregivers. So you've got me. So then will you talk about what where we go with this? Yeah. And yet he doesn't. <laughs> and he, he, just, doesn't. he just didn't. No, he doesn't. Yeah. So he that happens about um, lay aside things of the world. Don't worry about don't worry about the worldly problems. Mum's now got Alzheimer's, but I take her a piece of beef to remind because that's what I had to take when I was a child because she was so very poorly. Just completely skates past the the whole message that he could have given, which would have, like you say, been very dramatic, very powerful, beautiful, and lots needed. Things, yeah, lots mm. of things to speak to there about families supporting each other, roles that we play. The, the things that we ask of each other physically and 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 the way that life can take a, a sharp change and it just missed the point but he did reference Nelson so got got that in there didn't he and it was a there was lots of of nodding towards um Russell Nelson and quoting him in his talk as well which again just felt tokenism um, he didn't take uh, a, a long time uh, to close. He only spoke for a fairly short time. Um, Peter, perhaps I was looking for him to speak to the audience of women in a way that would have connected him. He had really moved towards vulnerability and not just talking as a young carer, talking about his experience in caring for an elderly parent. Again, super relevant. Do you think it was too vulnerable? I didn't understand that. Neither did I, Alexa. <laughs> Neither did I. None of us did, Alexa. Do, do, do you? <laughs> That's perfect. Do you, um, well, as he said, he didn't really follow it through because he, he went back to the script, you know, yeah. just like um, Rebecca Craven did. He was back on script pretty quick. And I thought he was going to announce a social media fast for women, <laughs> like where he started with the language, right. of, which is we hear a lot now, which is the paranoia about leave the world, stay away from the world, switch all yes. that off, only listen to the prophet, which Wendy's been pumping out and Nelson and others have as well. Um, 
is I, I, I genuinely thought I was like oh my gosh you are kidding me you're about to tell the women switch social media off so they don't get connected to the I was waiting for that having yeah. a voice um, so, he, so he certainly seems to be steering in that direction which I would say um because I'm always like criminal criminalizing these things is well again one of their big worries and panics is what people are finding online and that they are listening to yes. the world. They're listening <laughs> to the scientists, the historians, the teachers, the the people who know what they're talking about, the people who've actually researched Mormon history. Um, and it's all dangerous and it's breaking their testimonies. So he certainly seemed to be veering towards that if there was a coherent message at that point anyway in his talk. Um, which again, I just I found really interesting because they are aware of this threat they're under. They haven't the first clue how to actually respond to it coherently. I've got lots of suggestions if they want to listen to my very long podcasts. But um, as do does everyone else in the in you know where we're talking about the Mormon Church in exile. You can tell them. I can tell them. You've already told them. You know, Ruth. I just loved your in, sort of interview episode you did with Twenty First Century Saints here. And just learned so much from that, from your experiences and, and what you could feed back to these people about how not to screw up. But yeah, of course, they'd right. rather just switch it all off and go like, la, la, la. So the Can't quote that he gives that. from President just... Nelson is, examine your lives meticulously mm. and regularly. Um, and then he will prompt you what is no longer needed. But then he goes on to say, sisters need to learn how to say no. To which I wrote in my notes, okay. I'll say no. That's what I did. That's what I did. I got to the point where I went, I'm going to say no. What are you going to do about it? And it's really freeing. And I'm really sorry, Peter, that you've had to go through the pain of excommunication. But isn't it freeing to be oh, in a yeah. where a you're, no, yeah. you're no longer having to just jump when when the fingers are, are snapped and, and mm -hmm. the expectation changes on you and you realise I can be my authentic self and I can choose what to believe, what not to believe, what to take, what to leave, what, what, yeah. and you suddenly start to live with a lot more integrity and, and a lot more um, authenticity. And that may draw you closer to um, faith. It may lead you away, but it, I don't think that actually when he said that, he really means that because he doesn't mean you're allowed to say no to anybody at church he means say no to somebody on a podcast the world. say no to the world say yeah. no to anything that might distract you from doing the things that we want you to do as an organization mm. yeah um yeah. what we're going to do is just close out with some final thoughts um before we close out mm. if y'all would uh do us the huge honor of liking of subscribing if you find it relevant if there's anyone who could benefit from it maybe maybe share um this work what we're going to do on sunday night is to come back at it for safeguarding sunday we have got something that we really, really need your help with. Um, we hope you'll be able to join us for that. We should be broadcasting right after Nemo's show. It will be a short broadcast, but if you can join us, that would be incredible. Um, but also next week, we're going to be joined by uh, Mormon Civil Wars, Peter Bleakley. Is go you're going to come back and sit with us along with Mormon Freedom Fairy, Lynn Bleakley, and we're going to talk a little bit more about your journey. So we're going to definitely be continuing a lot of the themes that we picked up on tonight. Um, so yes, 
please, please come back and join us for all the things that we have planned over the next week. So, and closing out, uh, we'll we'll come to you first, Ruth. Um, any any final thoughts about the conference or anything that you want to say as we're as we're winding up? I, I, I'm I'm glad that I listened to it. It was painful. I've, I've got to be honest, and it it feels like I'm having to put on restrictive clothing again after sort of saying that this this no longer works for me. This no longer works in my life and fits fits me and who I am. Um, but I'm glad that I did it, and I I was pleasantly surprised by a couple of the speakers. I still think when I when I um sort of uncouple from there, they seem like good women. Um, does it offer value? Does it offer a way forward? I don't see it for the for what they're still supporting there is they're trying to keep the wheels on a very broken down train. Um, so I I don't I, it, in some ways it was sad. In some ways it was it was refreshing to see new voices there. So, yeah, I'm, you know, I hope, I hope it meant something to the people that were there. Yeah. Thank you, Ruth. Um, Peter. I think it represented the state of the church, the best of the best and the worst of the worst. We got the worst pharisaical, boring primary voice, patronising patriarchal dreck you can imagine. But you've also got, despite all that, there is so there there is a better religion in there somewhere that makes women like Tracy DeMarco, that makes people confident, articulate, compassionate, caring, and giving it some well and able to communicate. Um, but where it's so corrupted, it's it's kind of impossible not to be spoilt by the bad stuff. And it's going to take just such hard work and clarity and courage and being willing to defy the leadership to ever purge ourselves enough of the bad side. Of course, you can say this is what human beings are. We're a mess and we're, we're not perfect and we're just trying. But there's a spectrum here. We can do better than this. We can do better than people coming from other countries to patronise us and actually bring us nothing useful and not listen or speak to what our needs are. And if they want to really run a global church rather than a Utah church with a mission field that the kids can visit every so often, they've got to take us far more seriously and actually treat us as if we matter and are worth preparing a talk for. Um, but I think for me, ultimately, the big question here is, Right, where can everyone go and listen to these talks for themselves? Global leaders yes. of the Church came to speak to the United Kingdom of Britain, Great Britain and Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. And the nanosecond they stopped talking, it was erased from the internet. And they did this with the prophet, President Nelson and an apostle um, and their wives spoke to the whole of Europe a year or so ago, whenever it was. And the nanosecond they stopped talking, the people who really run this religion erased it all from the internet. It was gone in a poof. You had to watch it live or you missed it. And they don't even do that with General Conference. This begs so many questions. And the answers to those questions are, they clearly know these people talk utter bollocks. They know they talk nonsense. They know that it'd be awful if anyone held them accountable for the waffly nonsense they say and how useless it is. They don't trust their own leaders. When they say that they are speaking as the prophets to the whole world and to, or these are the mouthpieces of God to Britain, that should have been carefully recorded 
And then because the church is filthy rich, little DVDs made and posted to every woman and, and, and girl in Britain. They, we, it should be online. We should be putting out adverts in every newspaper and, and YouTube channel to advertise, come and listen to God's inspired male and female leaders to the world. They've got a special message for your country. This is what they said. Memorize it. Discuss it. Remember it. Oh, we've got the prophet of God has come to Europe. You know, in the we can read these prophets from 2,000 and 3,000 years ago. It's because people cared enough about what they said to write it down and keep passing it on. We will, of course, do that. President Nelson, who's the most amazing restoringist prophet since Joseph Smith, spoke to Europe. Here's a DVD of what he said. Here's a pamphlet. We're gonna we'll put we'll buy a Netflix channel and you can watch it on telly on a 24-hour loop. This is what God's prophet says to Europe. Can you imagine that? How important it is that you all hear this. But what do they actually do? The second they can, they scrub it from the internet. Um, we secretly recorded this, of course, and, and this would have been a three-hour show if we'd actually shown clips. But I can't just put that out online somewhere because they'll come at us for copyright or something like that, probably. You know, we can sometimes use these clips. But that's just my... We've already talked about how within what they said there's dysfunction, there's contradiction, and there's letdown and disappointment. But the huge mammoth elephant in the room is they don't believe their own stuff. No, they, they don't, don't want any of and the women don't... who were busy that night working as a nurse no. or staying up with a sick child to actually hear what these women leaders said. They took it off the internet yeah. because they have no respect for the fact that some people might be busy on a Sunday evening and need to watch it later, especially if they've got young children. They put this on at dinner and bath time. No respect for any of us, male or female. They tell us to adore these people as the mouthpieces of God, but they don't actually believe it because they don't want you to actually listen to it more than just listen to it live with everyone else, feel the spirit, kind of forget what they actually said. And it's gone. Oh, warm fuzzies accomplished. Nothing substantial. And they don't yeah. care that half the population simply weren't able to hear it that evening live because yeah. of other things going on. Yeah. I'd. It, it shows but, the empty. It, they, they don't. They, they don't mean it. We know that they don't mean it when they're saying we mm. want everyone to listen. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's yeah. by its very nature, it's it's excluding so many people that might find value in it and might find it uplifting. Mm. But it also shows yeah. that they're very scared by the um, the longevity of the internet of of written materials nowadays. That 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 worries them. That scares them, and and rightly so because they have a, a, a long history of having some very uncomfortable things in the past. However, um, you know, take your time, say what you want to say, and we'll, we can all live with a few people being human and say, speaking out of turn, saying the wrong words. Yes. The message is what's key, and we can deal with human frailty. What we can't abide is when you try to obfuscate what the true message is from your church. Don't tell us you're, you're, this is for the world and you're the prophet of the world and then hide behind all of these layers of lawyers and double speak and hiding history and all of those things. It, it doesn't fly. It, it, it's got to be one way or the other.
I completely agree, and I'm really glad that you brought that up in your your closing thoughts, Peter, because I this is one of the things that I struggle with most is the church's inability to um, let things just be. One of the reasons that we uh, do this live is it's not just because I'm super lazy and can't be bothered editing <laughs> that, but also because if we say something, then I'm going to stand by it. Um, but also, I've said loads of things in this show that I actually would have filtered out, um, that I um, maybe have regrets about later on. And I've spoken to those regrets I because we need to talk about them. That if we say something exactly in the same way that if, if we were in a Relief Society class, a priesthood class, uh, bearing a testimony, that if we say it, we stand by it. And that's that's what I'd like to see from the church. My closing thoughts about Sunday is that I feel like it's almost worse when you get nearly there. When when you see things being said that, oh, if we go down this road, we're, we're, we're going to, this is going to be the talk that I needed to hear. Um, and then when it goes in completely the other direction, you're left with this feeling of emptiness, of, uh, you know, the, the feeling that, that Ruth described early on of empty calories, the feeling of seeking uh, bread and being given a stone. It speaks more to the pain. Um, I feel like every talk on Sunday, um, and, and some were great, and I appreciated the fact that, because we need to have more of these, we need to make them inclusive, broadcast them so that we can attend them and we can fully participate especially whenever one of the voices that you're you're amplifying is a is a disabled young woman who often you know we just can't get to um to conferences when we can't make uh, conference businesses because we are looking after our elderly parents or recovering from childbirth or all of these things that women tend to find as barriers to um you know being part of society um I want, I felt like what happened was my team could have scored a goal and didn't. And it's because they haven't trained hard enough or they haven't practiced hard enough, but they're just so close to, to being there. Um, I think I'm feeling more positive having had this conversation because I'm able to remember where it almost went right. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of how I'm feeling about it. Um, one of the reasons that that church becomes so painful is because we are not being fully fed, or we hear messages that are almost there but have just it, it's caused more heart than pain, uh, or caused more heart than 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 healing. Um, Sunday Sunday was okay. Sunday was okay. But we want substance. Uh, so I guess that's what I'm calling for. If you would like more substance, we are going to be speaking about some specifics of safeguarding. We've got a really exciting uh, project we need to tell you about and we need your help with it, especially if you're in the UK. So if you can tune in again on Sunday, we will be sharing the links for that just shortly. We're also going to have Peter and Lynn Bleakley with us next week. We are really excited about that too. And we've got some great guests who are going to be coming on over the next few weeks. So we've got lots planned for you and we are so thankful that you have joined us thus far. Um, 
my message, I guess, for the state president, sorry, for the area presidency and those who are working with them is to thank them for the service. I know that the work that you guys are doing in the background for safeguarding is huge and we want to bless the steps that you're taking um, and we're excited to hear what you have in store for us. Thank you so much for joining us tonight and we will see you back here on Sunday. Good night, everyone. Good night.